0: turn with me to Galatians 3. We're going to be looking at verses 26 through 29, and uh, thank you. Uh, let me say thank you for the, uh, allowing me to uh, take part of the Sunday supper last week and honor my birthday and for your cards and encouragement and gifts. I'm grateful, again, to be the pastor here, and uh, thank you for your generosity and allowing me to... I know Karen wanted to do something for my birthday, and I wouldn't let her, and so she found a way in spite of me. And so, uh, but thank you for letting me uh, have a part of that and for your generosity. Uh, Galatians 3, 26 through 29. Let me, let me read this and we'll jump in. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free man, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to the promise. And in many ways, the book of Galatians, if this were a mountaintop, if this were scaling a mountain, today would be the peak. What we see here in verses 26 through 29 would be the the pinnacle, it would be the, the climax regarding everything that we have built up to, everything that we've studied, everything that we've learned, everything that Paul has said in this letter, everything that he will say is pointing to these few verses right here, these four verses, that, that we are sons of. Of the living God through faith in Christ. And listen to me, when it says sons there, people love to attack the Bible here. People love to, to, to make that mean something more than it's not. In, in this culture, when it was written, the, the firstborn son was the heir. He was the heir to everything. God, God is not diminishing women here. He's not dem- demeaning women. Obviously, women here who are believers in Jesus Christ are full heirs. Just as we men are. There are there are times in the Bible, even we as men are called the bride of Christ. He's not, he's not, again, people will choose verses like this and 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 they will try to make something more than what Paul is saying here. Paul is simply saying that look, through faith in Jesus Christ, we have a relationship with God that did not exist before. We are sons, we are his children. Ultimately, what we will see is. In verse 29, and the point he's making is that we are full heirs of everything that is Christ's. We're full heirs. And and this ought to change everything. What Paul is saying is this fact that we are sons of the living God, that we are co-heirs, that we have been grafted in, as Romans talks about, into the, the body of Christ. That, that's the pinnacle, that's the, the, the point that changes everything about our lives. Our identity, as we saw a few weeks, our identity is in the gospel. We are a child of God. Think about that. E- even today, every single one of us bear a last name. You know what identifies us? As a child of someone, and that means everything. That changes everything. You, you belong to someone. Someone. You didn't just show up. You belong to somebody. You are a child of someone. And what Paul is saying here is that through faith in Christ, we are sons of God. And I I hope we can grasp that. That that is truly the, the depth of the gospel, that we who were sinners, we who were enemies, we who were dead in our trespasses, we who had no right to make any claim on God, through Him crucifying His Son, through His Son becoming sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God. We have the right, the Bible says. Think about that. I have the right, because of my faith in Jesus Christ, to make a claim upon God. Think about that. That I have the right to call Him my Father. My, my mother and father are here today. I have the right to call them... To, to, to make claims, they're my parents. That that right has been given to us with regards to God through the gospel. My, my fear is that many of us have not thought that through, have not plumbed the depths, if you will, of the gospel. We understand, as we'll see today, we understand that that we we have been forgiven, but do we understand fully that we have been adopted? See, the gospel is not just justification. It doesn't stop with justification. God went farther as if that were not far enough to adoption. He adopted those he justified. He has given us the right, the privilege to be called sons of God. And and that's what I want us to see today because that's what Paul teaches us. The truth that in Christ, through faith in Christ, we become children of of God. And and that is our main point today. I, I've been trying to make it simple with with one word. I want you to think about the word adopted today. Adopted. I want you to think about the fact that you have been adopted. There there are many children in here, and I'm grateful for that, who have been adopted. Listen to me, if we are if you are in Christ Jesus by faith, you are in Christ Jesus. The only way you have been adopted. That that is why adoption is such a big deal. There there's no greater picture Of the gospel than adoption. And that's what God has done. Through faith. I am a child of God. If I have placed my faith in Jesus Christ. Listen to me. Not just forgiven. Not just justified. It's not as if salvation is God setting us free to obscurity or, or, or setting us free from our sin to leave us alone or, or wonder what's next. It's like, okay, I'm, I'm out of jail, but what now? No, the gospel is this. God took us in as His own. He adopted us. He, get, he set us free from sin and death through faith in Christ to call us His own, to bring us in, to, to adopt us, to take ownership. To care for us, to love for us, to walk with us, just as any parent would do, and and that ought to change everything. You think about a mom. You know, moms are are so much different than dads a lot of times. You know when 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 kids know where to go when they need a hug. Kids know where to go when they when they need that love and that care and all that. They know they're like hey they will run right at least in our home they will run past me for mom because they know that the mercy the the, the Spring of mercy is a whole lot deeper with Karen than it is with Chris. If they're bleeding and they did something foolish, I'm like, that's what you get. It don't matter what they did, deserved or not, Karen's going to love on them and tell them it's okay. And I'm sitting there thinking, it ain't okay. I told them not to do that. But, But they go there because they have a right to go there. They don't worry, they don't wonder, they don't need a password, they don't need a special handshake. They have a right to run directly into their mother's arms. Why? Because there's a relationship. They're her child. And, and that's what Paul is explaining here, that we have been given the right to be called sons of God through our faith in Jesus Christ. And that, that is the main point. You see it there on your handout. Believers are adopted into God's family through their faith in Christ and as such are children of God and full heirs of His promises. That, that's a summation of what we'll see today. We have been adopted into God's family through our faith, and as such we are full heirs of His promises. I, I would hope that to, today that would sink in. I, I would hope that we would grasp the fact that, that that would become our identity, that we would dwell on the fact, that we'd meditate on the fact that we are children of God if we have placed our faith in Jesus Christ, that He literally has adopted us. And today I'm, I'm going to go as a, a old school as it can get. We're literally going to go verse by verse, and we're going to have a point for every verse. And, and these are, these are kind of just those just beautiful passages for a pastor because they're very clear, they're very easy. I mean, it's literally right there. It's not like you need to have a THM Uh, uh, masters of theology to see what Paul is saying here. And as simply as I can, I want us to grasp the fact, the fullness of what God has done for us in the gospel and not only forgiving us, not only justifying us, not only setting us free from sin and death, but adopting us. That, That this truth would sink into our hearts as much as into our heads as we go verse by verse. And I and I gave I, I mentioned last week we got done at 10:35 and and uh, and and I gave y'all a hard time for clapping for me and and I'm working on that and today we'll we'll shoot for that same kind of time frame and I hope you hear my heart in giving you a hard time I want us to be a church who can endure sound doctrine I want us to be a church who can sit under the word as long as it takes to get the word in us I, I don't want us to be a church that's in a hurry. To just check the box and get through the word so that we can move on to the next thing. That's not why we're here. There there is a great temptation in all of us to just be thinking of other things while we're here, to be ready to move on to the next thing while we're here. And and the Bible is very clear teach the word. In season, out of season, teach the word. Help, my, my goal, just like with our kids. Your goal is to mature them. My goal is to help us to mature so that we fully endure sound doctrine. That, that we will be willingly people who sit under God's word and not try to sit over God's word. That we will sit under God's word in, in submission and not over it in judgment. That we will, we will take what God says and hear it. Even today, That the reality that we've been adopted, there are times, listen, that my kids do not understand what we're doing to them. They do not understand what we're allowing them to walk through. They do not understand what we're walking them through or what even we're pushing them through. But as parents, we know better than they do. And everything that we do is governed by love. It's governed by a relationship. I am your parent. You are my son or my daughter. I love you. And That's what I want us to be with, with God. That no matter what it is... I mean, that's why on all, all the birthday cards that I write to our children... I I write to them, I say this, I pray that you will grow up to love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and that you will serve Him willingly all your days. And that no matter what, no matter what, you'll never doubt whether God loves you. You'll never doubt whether He's good or whether He loves you. And, And if you ever doubt, here's the reality, look to the cross. If you ever wonder whether God loves you, if you ever wonder whether God is for you, if you ever wonder why He is a good Father, look to the cross. No matter what you're going through, that's why Hebrews 12 says, Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before Him endured the cross. Romans 8 says, He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up freely for us all, how will He not with Him also give, freely give us all things? If you ever wonder why God, whether God is for you, look to the cross. He is a good father. All the time. A good father. And I want us us to move from the elemental things of the word to to the meatier things. To move from milk, as 1 Corinthians 3 says, to to meat. So with that, we're going to go verse by verse. And we're just going to jump in here. And you see on your handout, verse 26. Through faith in Christ, we have been given a new status as child of God. A new status. Status. Look at what he says: "For you are all sons. For you are all sons through faith in Christ Jesus." If we truly understand, if we are to truly understand what Christianity all it's, it was all about, what Christianity is at its core, the most fundamental, the most fundamental of all truths is this: that we are children of God. If we have placed our faith and trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins, if we have Repented of our sinfulness if we have by faith accepted Christ's death, burial and resurrection as our own. We have been adopted into God's family through that faith and we are his children. We are children of God. That, that truth is the heart of everything. The heart of the gospel in 326 here. We are all sons through faith in christ if you are here today and you are a believer in jesus christ alone for the forgiveness of your sins listen to me you're a son and everything else everything else that we deal with everything else that we look at everything else you're commanded to do everything goes back to that reality that you're a son Everything that we ask of our children, everything that we command of our children, our rules and all that, go back to what? The relationship of son. They bear my name. There's a relationship there. And Paul is getting the heart of it. The heart of it is this. We, as believers, we are God's children. Uh, A man by the name of Sinclair Ferguson wrote a book entitled Children of the Living God. I would encourage you. I'm going to reference a couple of books today that were very helpful in writing this sermon, and I would encourage you to read it, but Sinclair Ferguson wrote a book entitled Children of the Living God, and in his book he makes the following statement. The notion that we are children of God, His own sons and daughters, is the mainspring of Christian living. Our sonship is the apex of creation and the goal of redemption. That God would adopt us as sons and daughters. That he would take us in as children. In the Old Testament, you can look at passages like Ezekiel. I mean, uh, Exodus four twenty two. You can look at Jeremiah thirty one nine. Israel was pictured as God's son, and what we saw last week, and 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 we took a, a while to look at that. But the law was sort of a babysitter. The the law was a tutor. Until, until the fullness of Christ came. We'll see that in Galatians 4.4. 4. And the fullness, at the fullness of time, at the perfect time, God sent His Son. And that the law was a tutor to, as, as God's children were children until the fullness of Christ came. And when Christ came, there was no longer a need for a tutor. And that tutor's function, we saw in 3.24, was to lead us to Christ. It was to lead us to Christ. It was to, to cause us to look for Christ. There was a law. There was, it was a fle- reflection of God's character. We couldn't keep that. We fell short. We needed somebody to keep it for us. In comes Christ. And now that Christ has come, we no longer need a tutor. And through faith in Christ, we become sons of the living God. And we have obtained the promises. We are full heirs as we'll see. We are mature in that sense that we do not need a tutor. We do not need a babysitter, if you will. Through Christ, look at it, through Christ, we fully belong to the people of God, the family of God. We have been adopted. An adopted child is not second rate. An adopted child does not have a lesser status than a natural born child. They are fully children of the family that adopted them. I mean, you hear these crazy statements, and and I, I was... R- reading a, a gentleman who has uh, adopted many children, and he was just naming some of the foolish statements that people make with regard to adopted children. Like, ha- have you, have you, have, has he met his real mother? Like, no, yeah, his, mo- his real mother's right here. Are you, are, do, do, do you have any children of your own? Like, they're not my own. Full. Adopted children have full rights, full status. Co-equals. That's what Paul is getting at here. Through faith in Christ, all, all, he says, you are all sons of God. Listen to me, the door to the entrance into God's family is open to all who place their faith in Christ. Way beyond just Israel. And believers are God's sons because they are united with Christ Jesus through faith in his death, his burial and his resurrection. That was the that is the way the, the adoption took place. Through believing in his death, his burial and his resurrection. If we want to understand who we are as believers, we've got to understand adoption. We've got to understand that we are sons, we are daughters. And what Paul says is this is something that we already have. Look, you don't, bring in a, you don't bring a child into your family on like a trial run. You don't earn it. You don't say, well, let's see how, no, no, you adopt them. This is something we already have. We don't perform for it. We don't earn it. We don't have to do something to merit it. We have been given it through faith in Christ. That is why Paul is saying it is so foolish to go back to the law. So foolish to look for something to think you merit God's favor. You've been given it. You've been adopted. And and Paul is saying we have to grasp adoption so that we will understand salvation. If we do not understand adoption fully, we will not understand salvation fully. Because listen, you see it on your handout. salvation, Salvation is so much more than simply the forgiveness of sins. It it is the adoption and the gaining of a father. Look, we don't just get out of our sins in salvation. We gain a father. We get a father who loves us. We're not simply set free from our sins to wander aimlessly. We are set free and taken in by a father who loves us. And so many times in, in in our minds, my fear is that with regards to salvation, we've stopped at simply being justified. And, and I was reading uh, while we were away this week for a few days, David Platt says this, he says, justification is not the end of the gospel. My fear is that so many of us have, have stopped there. J.I. Packer, he, had, he wrote a book called Knowing God, it's on my shelf. It's a book that I regularly go to. He has a chapter on this, and, and in his I, I would recommend that everyone read that book, J. I. Packer. It's called "Knowing God." Listen to what he says about adoption at the end of his book. He says, "Adoption is the highest privilege that the gospel offers, higher even than justification. That justification, by which we mean God's forgiveness of the past together with His acceptance for the future is the primary and fundamental blessing of the Christian is not a question. He's saying, I'm not diminishing justification. Justification is the primary blessing because it meets our primary spiritual need. That is righteousness. That is forgiveness of sin. We all stand by nature under God's judgment. So we need the forgiveness of our sins and the assurance of a restored relationship with God more than we need anything else in this world. And this, the gospel offers us before it offers us anything else. But... This is not to say that justification is the end of the gospel. He says adoption is higher because of the richer relationship that it involves. Let me me illustrate what he's saying. My my fear is that that many of us think of salvation simply as the removal of our sins. And, and, And this it is. That is certainly an element. But we never get to the point, to the fact, we never grasp the fact that we are loved by a father. It would, be, it would be, and this was the illustration that popped in my mind, it would be like an orphan who was adopted and their main thought, their only thought was, man, I'm glad to be out of, I'm glad to be out of that orphanage. And they never even they never grasp and they never, never embrace the idea of being a part of a family. They're simply thankful to be out of the orphanage. And they never embrace... They never grasp. They never enjoy the fact that they have a father and a mother who loves them. That they are now a part of a family. It's more than simply being set free. Listen, justification, you see it on a handout, makes us right before God, but adoption proves that we are loved by God. We're not simply forgiven and then set free to ourselves. You know, God doesn't just set us free and say, man, I hope you make it. I hope it works out. Hey, you know, you're set free, but I don't have anything. Yeah, but you're set free. No, He adopts us. He sets us free from our sin. He, he takes us out of the prison that is sin, or the, the, the orphanage, if you will, and brings us into His very near presence. He brought, invites us in to His home, if you will. He takes us in. Ja, Packer goes on to say this to be right with to be, listen to what he says, to be right with God the judge is a great thing. But to be loved and cared for by God the Father is an even greater thing. It's one thing to be set free by the judge. It's a whole nother for the judge to come down and give you his name and give you his inheritance and take you home with him and care for you for the rest of your life. That, that's salvation. It's so much deeper than simply being forgiven. We are loved. This is, not a, this is not some just salvation. Is not just some cold transaction where there's no emotion, where you simply forgive somebody other debt and you move on. God didn't just forgive us of our debt, get the account back to zero, and then say, have a good time. No, he he took our account to Z he he paid our debts and then he put an infinite amount of money in our account that we'll never outgive him because we're his, his. And he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Everything is his. We're and we're heirs to that. In a moment. In a moment he took us in. That is the essence of what it means to be a Christian. It is to be loved and adopted by God the Father. And my fear is, even in my own heart, that we don't grasp that, and we don't meditate on that, and we don't allow that truth to be our identity. J.I. Packer says, if you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thoughts of being God's child and having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. If you don't meditate, if if the thought of your identity isn't changed by the fact that you're a child of God, if you don't readily see God as your father and think that through, you have not grasped Christianity very well at all is what he's saying. And I I agree with him. He says, if you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thoughts of being God's child. I mean, how many of us in our prayers recently just said, God, thank you for allowing me to call you my father. Thank you for giving me the right to be called a son and daughter of the king. Think about that. Think about the depth of what that means. My prayer is that that would sink in, that we have been adopted, that that Christianity is a complete status change, that we are adopted, and as such, we are children of God all through faith in Christ, that we have God as our Father. That should change everything. That's the essence of Christianity, that God is our Father. But not only that, look at verse 27, for all... For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. Look at what he says in verse 27. You see it on your handout. As children of God through adoption, we are to allow our new status to permeate every area of our lives. Literally clothed with Christ. When when you look at me right now, you know what you see? You see a blue shirt and blue pants, thankfully. I'm clothed. The fact that God is my Father, that ought to be what people see. Listen to me, baptism is the outward sign that we have placed our faith in Christ, that we are God's children. It, It functions as the picture of being adopted, that we have been adopted into God's family. It is a picture of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ through which we are saved. Romans 6 teaches us that very clearly that we have, all of us who have died, we've been baptized into Christ. We are part of the family. And baptism is that picture. Paul's not teaching here that baptism saves, nor is he teaching that, that, it, you know, that they might have grab, grabbed on the. Well, now, baptism is the new circumcision. That's not what he's teaching either. He's simply stressing the fact here that faith in Christ is what qualifies a person to be a member of God's family, of his people. And baptism is the outward picture of that. No no less than me wearing this wedding ring. This wedding ring. When somebody sees this wedding ring, you know what they think of? He's taken. He's married. See, I, I can take this thing off. I'm still married. But you know what this wedding ring does? This wedding ring clothes me, in a sense, to the world. You know what it says? He's taken. It sends a message. Baptism is is in a sense that same way of saying, you know what? They're taken, they're adopted. They belong to God through the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And and what Paul says is that we have been clothed with Christ. We see that in in numerous places in in Paul's writings. Romans 13, uh, verse 17. Let me, I mean, verse 14. Let me read it real quick. In the same way, look what he says. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regards to its lust. Just like clothes, he says, put him on. Put him on. Make no provision for the flesh. Ephesians 4 says the same thing. He says, and put on the new self which is in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness and truth. Colossians 3.10. Same thing. He says... And, and, and have put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. You know what all that is saying? That we have a new identity in Christ, and that identity changes everything about us. He's saying, be, be who you have been declared to be. Old self gone. Anyone is in Christ, he says in 2 Corinthians 5, is a new creation. Behold, the old things have passed, the new has come. Put on the new. You're in a new family. Live according to that family. You have a new identity in Christ and it changes everything. And again, does that thought fill our minds? I mean, do you do you sit back and just let the awe of that, that again, that you have been adopted that you have been clothed with Christ. That like your sins have been separated as far as the east is from the west. And when God sees you, he sees his son. You have been clothed with Christ. That, that you have been given the right to be loved unconditionally. You have been chosen. You have been set apart. And you can, uh, you can boldly make claims on God. That you can, as Hebrew says, boldly enter his presence. I mean, our daughter, it's a picture that our daughter boldly enters our bedroom at about 345 every night, just runs in. Like, depending on if she gets scared halfway or not, I mean, she just runs full force into that door. I mean, it's just, like, there's a doorknob there, and you can ease in, and sometimes sometimes she just boldly comes in if she's scared. What allows her to do that? Her mommy and her daddy are in there. She wouldn't do that if we weren't in there. She wouldn't do that if strangers were in there. She does that because her mommy and daddy are in there. And again, we have not been just been taken outside of the orphan. We have been orphanage. We have been taken home with God to be loved for and cared for. Listen, moment by moment, every moment of your life, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. Listen to me, your identity is this: Son of God if you have truly placed your faith in Jesus Christ every moment of every day, listen to me, Son of God. Continually think and act on that truth. Son of God. Put that on. Let that clothe you. Let that change you. Uh, They're not here today, but Akeen and Esther and David and and Agnes, they give us a beautiful picture of what that looks like every single Sunday. They are from Nigeria. They no longer live in Nigeria, but guess what? Nigeria is in them. And their clothing tells you where they're from. They have clothed themselves with the Nigerian customs and, and heritage, and they're proud of their heritage. They understand that in many ways America is not their homeland. It may be where they live, but their hearts are in Nigeria. If you go to their home and eat with them, you'll find out full well their heart is in Nigeria. Everything about their family, everything about their history, everything about their heritage changes, affects the way they live, even here in America. That's that's kind of a point of what Paul is getting at. You belong to the family of God through faith in Christ. You have been adopted by God through faith in Christ. And we take this status change, we take this new identity, and it permeates and changes and, and infiltrates every aspect of our lives. You're a child of God. God in His grace has offered you today, if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, the opportunity by faith to repent of your sins and become a child of God, to be adopted. It makes me think about it. even Even in the garden, after Adam and Eve sinned, what did God do? He killed an animal and He did what? He clothed them. He clothed them. He covered their nakedness. Think about that. Christ is our clothing. What, what penalty did Christ pay so that He could be our clothing? He died. God killed Him. God killed His only Son, That whosoever would call upon the name of the Lord could be saved. That unrighteousness washed away. We have been clothed with the righteousness of Christ. And in God's sight, our acceptance and His love for us are in Christ. They are through Christ. We are loved because of Jesus' work. You see on our handout, not our own. We have been adopted not because we performed well, not because we, we... convinced anybody to do it, not because we, we were the prettiest or the, the had the most hope or the best future. No, we're in love because of Jesus's work. It's grace. And when God looks at you and when God looks at me, He sees us as sons because He sees His Son in us. We have been given a whole new life in Christ which changes everything. And what Paul is saying is that that sonship goes so far beyond just keeping rules. It's love. It's the love of God that motivates us, that drives us, that fuels us. Not rule keeping. Not not performance. Not, I've got to keep him in love with me. No, he is in love with you. What what Christianity is, is, is a satisfied love relationship through Christ's work, which changes everything. The fact that we're loved, the fact that we're clothed with Christ, covers everything about us. And my prayer for us is that that would change everything about our lives, that we're adopted, that we're sons of God, that that would be our identity. We live in a world that is just grasping self, 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 all for self-esteem. Think about that. That right there ought to change your self-esteem. That God was willing to sacrifice his one and only son, that that you could be called a child of God. And such as you are, if you've placed your faith in Christ, he says, for you are sons of God. Not will be, not kind to be. You are sons of God if you've placed your faith in Christ. But not, not, only, not only adopted, not only a status change, not, not only a permeating, permeating every area of your own life, but it permeates every area of our lives with one another. And that's number three. As believers are equally children of God by grace, there ought to be unity amongst believers regardless of race social status, or gender. That's verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free. There is neither male nor female, but you are all one in Christ. Listen, but regardless of our race, our ethnic background, our social status, money in the count, whether we're male or female, listen to me, all can be a part of God's family by placing their faith in Jesus Christ and having their sins forgiven. These kind of things that we use to to differentiate and and segregate us are irrelevant when when, when determining whether somebody can be a part of God's family or not. We are all one big family. Look around you. Those in Christ Jesus are brothers and your sisters. They're your brother and they're your sister. We are collectively the body of Christ. What Paul is saying here is because we all enter by grace, because nobody earned it, Nobody merited it. We all came by grace. There should be no division amongst us because of our race, our social status, or our gender. And and again, people will go to this verse and they will use it to try to eliminate distinctions amongst male, female, and all those things. This doesn't eliminate distinctions. We still have roles. You go to Ephesians 5, husbands and wives have roles. They're different. This would not have eliminated a a cultural distinctiveness amongst a Greek or a Jew. That's why Paul says in in Corinthians 9, to the Jew I became a Jew, to the Greek I became a Greek. There are still distinctives, but in the body of Christ, those don't get us in. The, The duties of specific genders are not eliminated here. What Paul is not saying is that male and female is interchangeable. You don't go to this verse as some have, some have and try to support all of us using the same bathroom as is common today. That's not what Paul is teaching. He's not teaching here that, that oh, well, male and female, there's no distinction. So, so homosexuality, for instance, is not a sin. Or that gender roles have been established. That, you know what, women, you don't have to submit to men because there's not male. What is male and what is female? Listen, my four year old knows the difference from male and female. We know the difference. God God is not eliminating. What he's saying is that doesn't get you in the body. In the body of Christ, we're one through Christ. That's what he's saying. This is about God's children, and this is about his family. This is about our core identity being in Christ. We are all one in Christ. And what he's teaching us here is that the gospel says this. We are Christians before we are anything else we are christians our primary identity is a christian that we are to take that identity the fact that i'm a christian and we are to apply that to every single area of our life everything i do everything i say everything i pursue everything i'm to take back to the fact that i'm a christian that that is my core identity as we saw a few weeks ago i'm a christian Someone asks you, you know, who, is, who is Josh Tharp? You know what the answer is? I am a, tell me what Josh does. I am a believer who does electrical work. I am a believer who teaches. I am a believer who, again, believer is our core identity. And that infiltrates, I am a believer who raises my children at home. I am a believer who is a banker. I am a believer who is a, an appraiser, whatever it is. Find your identity in the gospel. That's what Paul is saying. And and what he's saying is the church cannot be marked by cliques. cannot be marked by little groups or pockets of people that, well, we have our group and you have a group. No, 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 we're one body. Every single other believer ought to be welcomed into this family. Every single believer ought to be welcomed in whatever you're doing as a believer. What he's saying is that, look, all of us entered here as repentant sinners, unworthy, repentant sinners. That's how we got in. That's the qualification for getting into the family of God, to admit you can't do anything to get in on your own and plead solely for grace. And in our flesh, even here, in our flesh, we want to be superior. In our flesh, we want to make distinctions. In our flesh, we want to find ways to stand out or or stand above. And again, all of that is going for an identity that's apart from the gospel. We want to find our own identity. I'm a basketball player. I'm a golfer. I'm a this. No, you're a banker who does this. I mean, you're a Christian who does banking. Your primary identity is not in what you do. It's in who you are. You're a Christian. And, and. That identity unites, and our flesh wants to find identities that separate. Pride wants to kick in, and God was very careful to organize and orchestrate the gospel so that there'd be no room for pride. It is the great humiliator of pride. We all stand at the foot of the cross as beggars, sinners in need of grace. And as such, John thirteen thirty four and 35, he says this, the primary badge, the primary thing that ought to set you apart as Christians. The world ought to look at you, us. And here's how they ought to know, by our love for one another. Our love for one another. All flowing through the love that Christ has showed for us. That God showed for us in crucifying His Son. Love for one another. The Bible says we ought to be known for our love for one another. Is that the case? Is that, is that our approach to this family, this body of believers? And what we learn here in verse 28 is that uh, there is equality amongst all believers shown through our love for one another in spite of our differences. All people are equally needy as sinners at the foot of the cross, and we have to see ourselves that way. One beggar alongside another beggar. Listen, this, the world will never ever, the world will never admit this. But right here, right here in the gospel, you find the solution to racism and socialism and all these class distinctions, all the things that, that cause problems in culture. You know where the solution is found? In the gospel. It's allowing the gospel to permeate our hearts so that we don't see someone's race first. We don't see their socioeconomic status first. We don't divide over what we do. We see a brother or a sister in Christ or a brother or a person who's not in Christ. That's the distinction. We're one body. The reason reason why all these ills still exist is because we have not allowed the gospel, even as Christians, to permeate every area of our lives. We have not embraced it by faith. And the solution to all that divides in sinful ways is the gospel. Allowing the gospel to flood our hearts. And by faith, believing what the gospel teaches. And the freedom and identity that we have in the gospel has to change our attitudes towards everything else in life. That's what he's saying. That the fact that we are all here by faith is a unifier. Unifier. And think about this, how can you really, I thought about this, just what are some implications? How can you really look down on another person who has been clothed in Christ the same way you are if you really allow the gospel to to, to permeate your heart? I mean, how can you rightly look at another believer and think you're better than them when you gained entrance the same exact way he or she did? Think about this, why would we ever be jealous of another believer, and especially a non-believer, if we truly grasp the reality that God is both our fathers, not the non-believer. It's interesting, in, in Psalm, I think it's, this is dangerous, I'm going to go here off memory. Psalm 73. Psalm 73, it's the Psalm of Asaph. Listen to this. This is, this is our at, about, attitude about non, non-believers. Asaph looks, he says, Behold, these are the wicked and always at ease. They have increased in wealth. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and washed my hands in innocence. For I have been stricken all day long and chastened every morning. If I had said I will speak thus, behold, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. When I pondered to understand this, it was troublesome in my sight. You know what he's dealing with? Some of the things you and I are dealing with. Why do we look around and it seems like the world, everything goes right for them and we as Christians struggle? is it worth it look at what he says verse 17 until i came into the sanctuary of god then i perceived their end see what he's saying till he got his focus back on who his father was till he got his focus back on the fact that he was an heir of everything and and the non-believers their end was coming Till he came back today to, to the body to say, look, I'm going to focus everything through the gospel. I'm going I'm I'm to let the gospel take, take hold of my thoughts. And, and, and instead of being jealous, you know what that produces? It produces a desire to go share the gospel with those people. Because there is an end coming and God for a period has given us a chance to share the gospel with those around us. I mean, can you, I mean, think about it. Could you imagine a bunch of orphans bragging about who's the better orphan than the other? That would make no sense. Like, I got in the family this way. No, I got in. The, no, no, you got in by grace. And, and the good news, listen, the gospel has good news, which is sonship. And it has bad news because it tells us just how bad we are. That we were enemies as God. And he says there's unity produced. Because they so, those same enemies, by faith, have become sons. And that ought to be reflected in the church. It ought to be reflected in the unity amongst one another in the church. And the world sees that, and they get a hunger for it. They get a taste for it. Unity amongst diversity, all because of the gospel. That's verse 28. But look at verse twenty-nine as we close. And if you were belong, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to the promise. Look at the on the handout the last point. As the children of God, we are full heirs of all God's promises. What Paul is saying here is, listen: the inheritance comes via the promise, not the law. Entrance by grace, through faith. Even even in Romans eight verse seventeen, he makes. Paul makes two profound statements. He says, The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, heirs also, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ. But look at what he says. If indeed we suffer with Him, so that we may be glorified with Him. But Paul doesn't leave it there. In verse 18, listen to what he says. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time, the same sufferings that are confirming our sonship, are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed in us. Same same psalm I read, Asaph, when I pondered their end and when we ponder our end, listen to me, it's worth it. Grasp God's love for you today. Grasp the fact that, that as sons we are heirs, and there will come a day where we will receive our inheritance but it will not be now. It will be in the future. 2 Corinthians 1.20 says, For as many as are the promises of God, in Him they are, yes, God is a promise keeper. One day, one day the accounts are going to be settled. And when God settles those accounts, there will be no, well, what about this? You'll be so overwhelmed by grace that anything you suffered on this side of eternity will not be worth comparing to the glory that God has given you. And the challenge for you and I is we want God's promises, but we want them on our way. We want them on our terms. And it won't be, it's not going to happen that way. The promises come through a relationship with Christ through faith. They, they come from a father to his child through faith and a love of the father. They come as us being identified as his children. And, and my prayer today and always, would be that the the fact that we are God's children would change us. The fact that we've been adopted would would change everything about us. That we would not stop at simply having been justified, having been forgiven, but that the gospel would continue on to the fact that we have been adopted. That we have been adopted. More than simply forgiven, but adopted. And, And if you're here today... And you're not sure of that, please grab me afterwards. It, 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 we saw even adoption, of baptism. Maybe, maybe you're a believer here and you've never been baptized to just publicly, boldly tell the church, I'm a follower of Christ. What's what are you waiting on? T- t- let the fact that you are sons and daughters of God permeate everything. If you've not grasped that, ask God to to repent of that. Ask God to open your heart to that reality. Let, Let the reality of the love, even in 1 John 3, it says, See how great a love the Father has bestowed upon us that what? We should be called children of God. Let that fact, let that love meditate on that today. Let the fact that you've been adopted change everything.